in your Bible. And what I'd like for you to do once you get to Colossians chapter 3 is uh, put a marker there and find Ephesians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 3, and then after, after that, put a marker. In, now, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to keep going back to that all evening, so uh, you want to put a marker there so you can refer back to it. And then, and then find Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin in Colossians, but then we'll go to Ephesians after, after we get going. So if you would, please, I'd like for you to stand with me as I read from Colossians chapter 3. And I'm not going to read uh, the entire uh, scriptures reference there through 17. We're actually just going to read through verse 4 uh, of Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have of possessing your word and studying your word and being able to preach your word. Thank you for all these things. Thank you for those that have come together tonight. I pray you'd bless I would like for you to consider with me our status as God's children. Look with me now at Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Don't lose Colossians chapter 3, because we will return there. In, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So no matter how much we may want to think that we're, we were okay and we were pretty good, the Bible pretty clearly states here exactly what we were. And it isn't anything that is very pretty. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So as we see here from reading this section in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that we were born children of darkness. We were born as children of disobedience. However, we have been transformed. We have been changed into children of God, not by our own works, not by our own merit, but by the grace given to us by God. In truth, we have been adopted. Now, for a moment here, I want us to consider adopted children. Think about it for a moment. Depending upon the age of the child, this child will have to learn new behaviors, He'll have to develop and learn new priorities, new expectations. Old habits will have to be changed, and old philosophies may be done away with. They may no longer be in agreement with, nor acceptable to, their new parents. And this is, this is evident. And this is also true tonight for you and me as newborn babes in Christ, which is exactly what we are. We are children of God. We are, we are babes of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Paul writes, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now pay attention, especially to verse 18. It says, And all things are of God. 
who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So we are, we are new creatures. We are new creations. And, and this is the work of God. We read a moment ago in, in Ephesians that, uh, we are, or in, I'm sorry, in, um, yeah, in Ephesians that we are the workmanship of God. We are, we are still recognizable, of course, as our old self. And we remain susceptible to the allurements of the old man. However, we are a new creation. We are a new creation inwardly. And this creation is that of the inward principles of grace. And this is affirmed by the truth that the principles of grace are alien and unacceptable to the natural man. We know from Scripture that natural man receiveth not the things of God. They are, they are spiritually discerned. So we possess this new creation, this new nature, this inward nature that is the workmanship of God. This recreation, therefore, must indeed be an act of volition by God and God alone. It is this new nature, the nature of Christ, that is referred to as the new creature. And this inward nature that we now possess is such that it empowers us and enables us to choose to live righteously rather than live in sin. Now, this is very important for each of us tonight to realize. The old man could not help but sin. It was our nature to sin. Yet this new creation, this new nature within, is, is the nature of Christ. And the Holy Spirit leads us and empowers us to live in righteousness. The truth that when you and I, as children of God, that when we sin, it is not because we have to sin. We are no longer servants of sin. We, we're not under the bondage of sin. Rather, it's because we choose to sin. It's because we choose to obey the flesh. Flip Wilson in the 70s coined a phrase. Some of you know what it is. He said, the devil made me do it. The truth of the matter is that for the child of God, the devil can make you do nothing. The devil is powerless against you in this matter over the flesh. It is, it is you and I that choose to yield ourselves servants to sin. We have this new nature that's been given to us. We're adopted into the family of God and we are, we are empowered in this new nature that dwells within us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul states, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And I believe that the escape here is our submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The power to say, I will not do that which God has forbidden of me. Eve did not have to sin. She chose to sin. Noah did not have to ferment the wine of his vineyard, get drunk, and sin. He chose to do so. David did not have to commit adultery with Bathsheba. He chose to do it. And then he did not have to sentence Uriah to his death in an attempt to cover his sin. He chose to do so. And you do not have to surrender to temptation. You choose to surrender. So let us understand that we are not children of the flesh. We are children of the Lord. And as God's children, we must learn to behave and walk as God's children. We must relearn, if you will, as an adopted child would have to relearn his behaviors. We must relearn and adopt God's principles into our daily lives. So let me share some thoughts with you tonight, and I'll try to be brief. Um, as we look at this matter of being a child of God, as God's children, we should, number one, live for eternity, not for the present. In Colossians chapter 3, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, if you will. In Colossians chapter 3, I'll read beginning at verse 1 once again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I reference Paul's allusion to the new creation as mentioned in verse 1 here of Colossians chapter 3, where he states, If ye then be risen. Now, we understand, of course, that one cannot be risen unless he has first been dead. And in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul clearly states, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And being risen here denotes the new birth, the new creation. And furthermore, I must argue the fact that God would not have regenerated and redeemed us to simply have us continue as we were. He redeemed us so that we would fulfill the works of righteousness that he has ordained for us in our life. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. We are to live in the righteousness which has been imputed unto us, the righteousness of the Christ, Jesus the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul states, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul understood that as God's child, his desires, his affections, were to be focused on the things concerning Christ and His kingdom. Not on the things of this world. Not on the things of this life. All of our affections, all of our desires are to be focused on Christ alone. And that all of the old desires, the old affections for things of this world were to be put away. Counted as, in Paul's own words, counted as dung. And I declare unto all here tonight who claim to be a child of God that we too must set our affections, we must set our focus on God and His kingdom. I'm afraid tonight that far too many believers in Christ are too wrapped up in the things of this world, in the concerns of this, of this life. And yet, We are to set our affections on things above. We are to set our focus on God and His righteousness. Now, let me share a couple of thoughts with you concerning the setting of our affections. First, letter A, we are to uh, live for, for Christ concerning our purpose. Why are we here tonight? What is this life all about? Is, is it to make money? Or to gain possessions? Is it to further our careers or or gain renown among men? Is it to entertain ourselves or to be entertained? Now, I don't say tonight that there's anything wrong with making money to provide for your family and to assist the work of the church. I have a family and I need to make money so I can take care of them and so that we can support the work here in this local church. And, And I don't want to imply tonight that it is wrong to study and develop your talents in pursuit of a career, nor being recognized for your accomplishments within that career. I believe young people should get all the education they can get, and I believe that they should do the best that they can do in whatever career they may be in. And I certainly don't mean to suggest that we are wrong when we seek enjoyment in life. However, When these things become the emphasis of our life, when these things become the focus of our every waking moment, it is then that we err. So as God's children, 
what should our purpose be? Well, first, I think it should be to glorify God by our life. Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The one statement that stems from the pits of hell itself is when people say, I can do whatever I want to do. A Christian should never say that. I don't think a Christian should ever say, no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because Paul says, you're not your own. If you're a child of God, you're bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God by everything we do. We've been redeemed by God so that we will bring glory and honor unto His name. That is our calling. That is our purpose. To glorify God by our life. But also, I I think it should be the purpose of every Christian, every child of God, to preach the gospel to the lost. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like for you to, don't lose Colossians chapter 3, but let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, if you, if you turn fast, we can get out of here faster. If you dawdle, we'll be here later. So it won't be my fault, it'll be yours. Second Timothy, chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse number 7. We read here, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There it is again. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. I believe it's the I believe it's the purpose of every believer to preach the gospel to the lost. I don't mean from behind a pulpit. I mean as a witness for Christ in our streets, in our in the grocery stores, at the gas station, at your workplace, wherever you may be, be a gospel witness for Christ. Now, considering what Paul wrote in Timothy, I, I'm I'm prompted to agree with the songwriter who wrote, What more can I say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. Listen, young, listen, I'm about to say young people, I'm so used to preaching to teenagers. Uh, listen, folks, um, <laughs> Brother Gary's laughing at me there. Uh, listen, folks, we don't need anything more than God has told us. I think people, I think people spend too much time trying to figure out what it is God wants them to do. You don't have to think about what God wants you to do. Read His Word. He tells us what He wants us to do. We're to preach the Gospel. We're to to be a witness for Christ. We're to glorify Him by our lives, by the things we say. Let me ask you a question real quick. I might get some of you mad, but that's just too bad. You shouldn't have come. Do the things you type on Facebook glorify God? Huh? Do the things you post, the comments you make, do those things glorify the Lord? Because if you remember correctly, the Bible says that our communication is not to be corrupt. And we're to glorify God by everything we do. So we need to be very careful concerning uh, these these matters of glorifying God and and preaching the gospel. But then also we're to set our affections uh, on things of the Lord concerning our purpose when it comes to concerning our priorities. Concerning our priorities, let her be. Let's, let's turn, again, hold on to Colossians 3, but let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And these are verses that you're very familiar with, but I'd like for you to see them. I think there's profit in seeing the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6. And let's go to verse 31. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Therefore, take no thought. Now, you know, if Jesus says, take no thought, 
then you shouldn't be taking any thought. Amen? He says, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? In other words, Jesus said, listen, don't, don't, don't be thinking about, you don't need to think about, you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat, uh, what you're going to drink, how you're going to be clothed. Don't worry about all those things. He says in verse 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows what you need. Which one of you parents deny your children their necessities? Huh? Are you a better parent than God? Matter of fact, Jesus even asked that question in Matthew chapter 6. He says in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I think our priorities in America are all wrong tonight. We've gotten so wrapped up in what is considered to be success. Can I remind you that the beggar who sat at the rich man's gate, we would call him, probably call him a failure, wouldn't we? But in the eyes of God, he was no failure. He had faith in his Lord. He trusted in his Savior. You see, we, I think we've got it all mixed up in America tonight. We, we equate success to how big a house we have, how fancy or how new a car we've got. You know, I, I'm really so tired of turning on the television and being bombarded with car commercials. I don't know about you. Now they've got pieces of people coming out of their bodies and, and, and uh, all these other things. It's, it's ridiculous. We are so wrapped up in materialism in this country. I mentioned this before when I preached a message once. You know, parents in, 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 in where our missionaries are in Africa and and, and uh, Philippines and places like that. You know, those parents don't go to bed at night concerned about, am I going to get that promotion? Is my loan going to go through on that new house? No, they go to bed at night and they're, they're, they're thinking, do I, am I going to be able to feed my children tomorrow? Are we going to survive for another day? Our priorities are wrong. And as children of God, our priorities need to be correct. It's God and his kingdom first. So many things need to be done within local churches, and so many, so many, so much work goes undone because God's people are not willing to take on the tasks. They're not willing to sacrifice of their own time and their own efforts and their own talents. And it's because our priorities are out of focus. But let me just make a statement. I think this is on your answer sheets there. It is a fool who sacrifices that which he cannot lose to gain that which he cannot keep. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world and we're taking nothing out. Yet people are trying to amass all, this, all these things. And I'm not saying necessarily that you shouldn't have the best, the best things you can have as long as you have everything in focus and your priorities are right and centered on service to God. As God's children, we're to set our affections on the things of the Lord concerning, letter C, our possessions as well. We're to set our affections concerning our purpose, concerning our priorities, and thirdly, concerning our possessions. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'll begin reading at verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. Paul states here, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. 
If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Now look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and raiment, Paul said, let us be there with content. I think the key to, to having the right focus on possessions is learning to be content. Just learning to be happy and content. You know, when I grew up, we weren't wealthy people. We, my father was a carpenter. And he didn't make a very large wage. But we were always taught, my brother and my sisters and I were taught, to be thankful and to be happy with what we had. We grew up not needing to have... I mean, you know what? Even to this day, I don't pay more than $10 for a pair of shoes. I mean, I just don't do it. I, I used to be amazed at some of the kids who would walk into high school with 250 and $300 pairs of shoes. I used to tell them, that's, more, that's, that's worth more than my car's. And we learned, we learned to just be happy, just be content. You know, if you can just learn to be happy, trust the Lord, and know that He has given you what you need, and be happy with what He's given you, you could be so much happier and have so much less stress in your life. But we always, what, what do we do? Well, we strive to have more and more, and all the while, God is off in the corner somewhere. The only time we call on Him is if we need Him to help us get that thing we want. And, and what a shame. Just learn to be content and happy with what God has given us. What a, what a hypocrite we are if we go to God and say, Father, please supply my needs. And then we get up and we go and debt ourselves for $250,000, $300,000 because we got to have that thing over there. What a hypocrite to pray and ask the Lord to, to provide your needs while you're, you're groping at more possessions and more things in your life. If you're going to go to God and say, Father, give us this day our daily bread, then be happy with what He gives you. Whether it's a slice of toast bread or a, a filet mignon wrapped in bacon. We're just not, we're not content people. America, really, our nation, if, you, if you'll be honest, we're not a contented nation. We're not people who are content with what we have. We have and that's proved, that's proved by our national debt. What about the pioneers in America who, who were content with, with a, a, a hut made out of dirt and counted themselves to be fortunate to have that? We've come a long way, haven't we? A long way down. So let us learn to get the right focus concerning these matters in our lives. Focus on heavenly things. Focus on eternity and not on the things of this earth. Be content with the things that God gives you. Love your, one another. Raise your children. Teach them truth. Make sure you got your children in church every time we, we, we meet. We've lost focus. We've lost focus in America, and it's time to get back to it. So first, as God's children, we should live for eternity, not the present. Number two, I think we should forsake the evil of this world. I'd say that as God's children, we should forsake the evil of the world. Let's go back now to Colossians chapter 3. See, I didn't do what I told you to do. I didn't mark Colossians. Now I've got to find it. Colossians chapter 3. And let's look beginning at verse number 5. 
Here we read, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's children, we are to forsake the evil of the world. Paul began this section of Scripture by admonishing us to mortify our corrupt flesh and its lurid deeds. Now, I think it incumbent upon me here to properly define this word, mortify. According to Webster's Dictionary, to mortify means to subdue or bring into subjection as the bodily appetites by abstinence or rigorous severities. So given this, it would imply that we, by virtue of abstaining from worldly pollutions, escape the pollutions of this world. Notice the admonition of Paul as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here he states, abstain from all appearance of evil. You notice he didn't say abstain, he didn't just say abstain from evil. He had said abstain from the appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I must be careful here lest I give you the impression that we are capable of doing something that we cannot do. Now, we, by, by virtue of our own strength, cannot control our flesh. However, through the grace given to us by God, we can. In fact, we are more than capable of controlling the flesh through the grace given to us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than capable of abstaining from the evil of this world through Christ Jesus our Lord, through the grace given to us by the Father. When we yield ourselves, when we submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and when we have the knowledge and understanding of the righteousness imputed to us by Christ, then we understand that by God's grace we are able to abstain from evil. We do not need to succumb. However, to have the mental state to yield ourselves and to, to use the empowerment means that we are going to have to be focused on our Christian walk. We can't carelessly go through this life. If we carelessly stroll through life, we will fall into the traps and the snares of this world and the devil. Do you understand and realize this world is a deadly place for the Christian? And it is only by discipline, it is only by, by being consciously aware at every moment of our lives that we can walk and fulfill the, 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 the life that God has ordained that we do. So, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.8 to put off our corrupt minds. He spoke also of this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 where he states, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. I greatly fear that most of our Christian brothers have become corrupted by the philosophies of this world, the spirit of the Antichrist, the Scripture calls it. And most definitely, we need this transformation of the mind. Philippians tells us in Philippians 4, Be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see that? The peace given from God. This comes from a a conscious awareness of God in our lives. He says in in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. You know, some things, even if they're true, don't need to be said. Did you know that? Even if they're true. We don't need to... We don't need to spread bad news about each other. We don't, we don't need to... If we, if we become privy to something in someone's life, we don't need to share that with everybody around us. Did you, ever, did you realize that? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Paul says, think on these things. So we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're to put off corrupt thinking. We're to put off corrupt speaking. We're to put off corrupt corrupt behavior. But then Paul also admonished us in verse 10 of Colossians 3 to put on the new man, the new nature. And this new man has been renewed, reformed after the image of the Creator, Christ the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1, he tells us, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And this new nature that we have, this this new creature that we are, is the workmanship of Christ. And he has imputed unto us His righteousness. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So we're to put off the corruption of the world and we're to put on the righteousness of Christ. As God's children, we are to forsake evil and walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ. In Romans 6, 4, Paul says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Do not embrace the evil of today. Do not even tolerate the evil of today. For if we do, it will only be a matter of time until we succumb to the evil of today. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And if we embrace or tolerate the evil of today, it will corrupt us, it will bring us down, and we will find ourselves submitting to the evil of today. Set your affections on things above. As God's children forsake the evil of this world, and then lastly... As God's children, we should walk or live in the enrichment of Christ. Colossians, we should still be there. Colossians chapter 3, let's look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, And be ye thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Did you see that? Whatever we do, whether it be by word or by deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And give thanks to God for all things. Notice the verbiage Paul used to describe the believer in verse 12. He said he called us elect, holy, and beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul states, Blessed uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, and the beloved. Now, I have to tell you that if, that if that passage right there doesn't thrill you, then there's something wrong in your heart. I mean, just look at what Paul told us here. God has blessed us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Not only has he blessed us, he has chosen us. Paul said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That baffles my mind. That absolutely baffles my mind. I believe it with all my heart. But I'll never understand it until I stand in his presence and he explains to me why he chose me. I mean, some of you in this church, you know, I can, I can say, ah, that's a really nice guy. God made a good choice. But me? He scraped the bottom of the barrel when he looked for me. He has empowered us, as I've already mentioned tonight. God has empowered you and I. He has empowered us to say no to sin. He has empowered us to walk in holiness and to walk in righteousness, something we could not possibly do without Him. Yet so many Christians today choose to push away that empowerment and continue to live their lives in the filth of the world. He has justified us. God himself has declared us innocent through the blood of Christ. He, he has adopted us. He's made us acceptable unto himself. Now let me ask you something. Don't these things, wouldn't that satisfy me, you? Wouldn't, wouldn't that make you happy to know that God has blessed you? To know that God has chosen you? To know that God has empowered you? To know that he's justified you? He's adopted you? He's made you acceptable in his sight? What more do we need? Well, if our focus is on Christ... If our focus is on the Lord, we won't need anything else. That's why the beggar at the rich man's gate could find contentment in his condition. That's why Job, on the heap, the garbage heap, that's why he could find happiness and joy. Because they had everything they needed in Jesus Christ. And they needed nothing else. Jesus was happy in his focus on fulfilling the will of God. He didn't need a house. Jesus said the uh, birds have trees and the foxes have holes, but the Son of God had no place to lay his head. If Jesus were alive today in the conditions he lived in, we'd look at him as a homeless bum. Jesus was content doing the will of the Father. But what about us tonight? What about you and, and I? Do we find joy? Do we find contentment 
Do we find happiness in serving God? Regardless of our financial condition, regardless of our medical conditions, just finding peace and contentment and satisfaction in living for God. Tonight I declare unto you that our lives have been enriched beyond measure and beyond belief. Jesus described this as the abundant life. He says in John, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Notice the attributes that we have in Christ found in Colossians chapter 3. He said we have mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace. And and notice the great benefits derived from God's Word as, as found in verses 15 and 17. Wisdom, understanding, edification, grace, thankfulness. Oh yes, we have been so enriched in Christ. Now in closing, allow me to just share three more thoughts with you and I'll be done. Because of the blessings we have in Christ, what should we do? Well, let me say first, we should rejoice in our redemption. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Oh, how sad it is when God's children lose their joy in salvation. So rejoice in your salvation. But then secondly... Live with a resolve. Live your Christian life with a resolve. A resolve to honor and glorify God in all things. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. Paul had a resolve to live for Jesus Christ in his life. Joshua lived with a great resolve. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 we read, And it's, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David lived with a resolve. In Psalm 101, in verse 3, David writes, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. And I could speak of the resolve of Daniel. I could speak of the, of the resolve of Job. I could speak for hours on, on the great resolve that great men of God had. But what about us tonight? What about you and me? What is our resolve? Well, let us resolve to live for Christ and to His glory. And then, thirdly, look for His return. Look for His return. Given the blessings we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, we should be looking expectantly and awaiting His return. Titus chapter 2, we read, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is my observation that the majority of professing Christians today are living their lives oblivious to Christ's return. And I fear this is primarily due to their love and their friendship of this world. We are admonished in Scripture to watch for His coming. Philippians 3.20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are admonished to pray for His coming. Revelations chapter 22 and verse 20, He which testifieth these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then we are admonished to patiently abide until His coming. In James chapter 5, we read, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. 
Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Abide with the awareness that Jesus will come at any minute. Live your life in, in that expectation. Seek to honor and glorify God by all that we do. Be content with the things that God has given us. Forsake the evil of the world. Abhor it. Let it not cleave to you. Do not tolerate it in your life. As children of God, we should set our affections on things above. We should forsake the evil of this world. And we should walk in the enrichment that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray tonight that these scriptures that I gave you would help you and would encourage you to be disciplined in our life, that we should live our lives as children of God, seeking to honor and glorify our Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you for the truth that we find in your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us here tonight to to comprehend the greatness that that you've given us, the, the many wonderful things that you've done for us. Such a little word, grace, is so profound in its meaning and in its intent. Help us as your children to live our life in such a way that we glorify you, that when we speak or when we when we act, that it would be in honor of you. Help us as your children to forsake this evil world and all of the allurements that it has. Not yielding ourselves to the entertainment of this world, which is corrupt and polluted, and, 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 and not yield ourselves to the, to the lasciviousness of this world, but be pure and, and holy in our hearts and in our minds. And then, Father, help us to be content and to appreciate and to love all the things that you've done for us. It's, you are so wonderful to us, and we are so undeserving. Lord, I pray you'd bless your work in this place, that you would help each of us to, to do the things that you've called us to do. Strengthen us in, this, in these dark times in this, in this world as, as the, the day of Christ approaches and as the, the wickedness of the Antichrist prevails. Just bless us, we ask now. Use this message tonight to strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.